careful now. Boing. So cool to be playing vinyl. Vinyl. Took the record off the turntable. You ready for this? Welcome to Behind the Vinyl. Here's your host, Stu Jeffries. And here we are, good to go with another season of great stories and amazing music. Welcome to another season of Behind the Vinyl, where artists stop by, drop the needle on their songs, and roll out their take on how the song came to be. Just ahead in this episode, Dee Snyder, a twisted sister, shed some light on We're Not Gonna Take It, and how the key line from the song was years ahead of the rest of the lines. I had written the hook for We're Not Gonna Take It in 1980, which was four years before it was released, before we even had a record deal but I couldn't finish the song. That's just a few minutes from now. But first, Tom Cochran goes into detail about how his fascination with a poet turned gunrunner led to a great song called White Hot. Kenny, Kenny wrote this, Ken Greer wrote this intro, and I was sitting at it. We were sitting in his house. I brought basically the song in, and I said, Ken, we gotta have something that is, is magical and as distant as the lyric. You know, uh, and the lyric talks about Arthur Rimbaud, who I was fascinated with, and, and how a guy could go from writing incredibly moving poetry to running guns in Africa. And my fascination with Africa and the developing world uh, became something that really um, I became more and more involved with as time went on, and then my work with World Vision. So when we play this live, I very often talk about that, and I talk about World Vision, but the song really explores how you how you trade on you know sometimes you trade in your real values for things that, that you know and you, and you don't know how you got on that path but you trade in the values that matter to you him being a poet and I was fascinated by that particular aspect of the human condition how you can go from the the light side to the dark side but it's kind of a, a shuffle you know we, we loved to uh, Little Feet at the time, so it's it, Little Feet stuff was a lot slower than this, but we, we kind of, you know, sped it up. And if it wasn't for this song, I'd probably be doing something else. You know, I, I, I was never one of these artists that thought I was I was in it for the long run at the time. I mean, I thought, you know, if this record doesn't happen, then I'm going to probably be a pilot or probably be a journalist. That's what I was thinking about doing. And I remember that we lost, um, we I lost the draw to uh, Robbie Baker and we just signed with Bruce Allen so we were making a big move out, out to Vancouver and when we, we lost the draw and it was January and uh, we both got the short sticks and we had to drive the step van out west and uh, I remember the first time I heard this song was outside of Winnipeg and, and the first time you hear a track of yours on the radio is, is just uh, it's, it's overwhelming it just um, it felt right, and, and we just, uh, we carried on in 40 below zero weather, and we carried on up to uh, just inside of the mountains outside of Calgary, and the axle broke in the truck. So we were stuck in, in Calgary, and it was on the weekend, and we, we couldn't get in touch with anybody, and we had very little money on us. We didn't have credit cards. Uh, we were close to the bone financially, so... We spent everything cent we could getting this axle fixed, and we got to Banff, and we had just enough money to put some gas in the truck, and we were trying to figure out how long it would take us to get to Chilliwack, where our first gig was, and we split a box of Kentucky Fried Chicken, a small, small snack box, and that's all we ate for about 24 hours, and we uh, just got 
into Chilliwack running on fumes and we had a gig there and uh, but this song was yeah it just it evoked so many memories for me and it's so great to hear it on vinyl man it's um it's uh, it's so good to see this thing and, and relate to them uh, now I do see a lot of these you know people bring these to gigs and uh, want them signed after shows and stuff so there's there's quite a few of these out there but uh, look at this friggin cover this is supposed to be Avenue A down here which is another song on the record you can see the A and uh, I remember we were just appalled when we first saw this and the record company brought this to us but now in some weird kitschy way it's it's uh, it, it's it's pretty cool I remember we did a a few years later, I did a gig with Jeff Healy. We did a charity gig in, in Atlanta. And uh, Mills from uh, REM was, was involved in the gig, and he came, he came in and he had a ripped old t-shirt, and it was, it, was a, it was this t-shirt. It was one of our tour shirts, and it was all ripped and torn. And uh, he shook my hand and said, I'm a fan. I was overwhelmed. I said, "Well, I'm a, I'm a fan of yours. You know, I love love Darian." But, um, but yeah, I mean, I've always tried to write songs that would stand the test of time, and this is you're not always successful. But I think with this song, it's one of the ones that we play it now, and people sing along, and we get into it, and I feel like I'm I feel like I'm 20 again, maybe 15, playing in a garage with my buddies. It's just got that that energy, that vibe. Tom Cochran on Behind the Vinyl. Hey there, I'm Stu Jeffries with a great story from Dee Snyder, a Twisted Sister, coming up shortly about their biggest hit, We're Not Gonna Take It. Before that happens, legendary blues rocker David Wilcox shed some light on his song, Bad Apple, and how it was inspired by true events, including him and a stink bomb. Some people call me a bad apple, but I may be the sweetest apple on the tree. The song itself was based on a remark I made about my first mother-in-law um, who didn't think much of me in a way and I said the lyric of the song just out of the blue you know um, but uh, there's some truth in it uh, I remember in school I got these stink bombs these little glass ones you could buy on Young Street in Toronto and um, we made a tactical error we tested them outdoors. Big mistake. Because of course the firepower of the stink bomb, the smell, was diluted seriously by the fact that we were outdoors. Okay. So we go back to school and uh, we're in class and I put the little ampule on the floor. <laughs> and uh, that, well, uh, ultimately half the school reeked, uh, smelled like a sewer. And uh, everybody knew who did it. Well, the kids knew who did it. And so I, uh, well, it was only a matter of time and I was caught. And I was sent across the street to buy um, some kind of air freshener or something to, you know, kill the odor. And uh, I bought the most, it was a boy's school and I bought the most feminine scent I could. Uh, you know, I think it was Glade Peach or something like that. Anyway, um, but there was that and, and there was some, I also pr did, I did a lot of practical jokes. And uh, uh, some I'm not proud of, um, sending a hearse to an old teacher's house. You know, I mean, I, I wish I hadn't done that. But uh, whenever I play this, a lot of people identify. 
I, I know I'm not the only bad apple in the barrel. When I uh, started in bands, we were playing original material um, in places that were used to top 40 bands, and of course we got fired a lot and stuff like that. But I had to have songs that you could jump in on any time. You know, if you, you know, had missed the two-thirds of the song because you weren't paying attention or, or whatever, that just arrived, um, you still had to be able to, oh, okay, I got it, you know? Um, so I couldn't write, for example, story songs or songs that had uh, 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 evolved verse by verse in that way. So songs like Bad Apple and Do the Bearcat are very much part of that ethos, you know? He's a bad apple, but one sweet guitar player. That was David Wilcox on Behind the Vinyl. Dee Snyder of Twisted Sister. He's confident, he's charismatic, and has some serious passion. Dee sat down beside our turntable and told us the story of how their biggest hit came to be. There we go. We're not going to take it off Twisted Sister's Stay Hungry record. Obviously, that is a song, the game changer for my band. Um, there's a lot of history with that song, there's a lot to tell about that song. For many people think uh, it was accused of being like writing a, a great pop song, uh, the sellout song, the song that, I'm talking negatively about this song, but at the time there were people who thought that we deliberately wrote some sort of pop anthem that was going to put us over the top. The fact of the matter is I had written the hook for when I'm going to take it in 1980, which was four years before it was released, before we even had a record deal but I couldn't finish the song. I had this great hook, and it was constantly, I would constantly go back to it trying to come up with the verse and chorus for it, and I just come up empty. Well, that would be kind of lucky, actually, because the song would have been wasted on an earlier album when Twisted was doing indie records and struggling. And in 83, when I was writing the music for the Stay Hungry album, I finally figured out the verse and chorus and completed the song and in and time for our biggest shot which was stay hungry and we had huge international success with the song and this song has had taken on a life of its own i mean no matter where we go in the world there isn't virtually a person in any country who doesn't know we're not going to take it it's to the point where they may not even know who wrote the song or recorded the song originally the song is almost that's that's when it becomes a folk song you say we're not going to take it and people know the answer, no, we ain't going to take it. That's the response. Um, the song itself, uh, a lot of people say, you know, it was the video that made the song as opposed to the song making the video. And uh, I can not only argue that point, but I, but, uh, I can back that argument up. Um, the song came out a couple of weeks before the video came out. And from the day it hit the street, it had literally hundreds of ads at radio stations. And what that means is radio stations added to their playlist. There was no video that was prompting that. The song itself held up on its own. And the fact that it's the song still has staying power is, is proof of that. You know, the video, while considered to be a classic video and one of the great videos and a game-changing video um, uh, for its time, you don't see the video anymore, yet the song lives on often in television commercials and movies soundtracks and licensing's a big thing for this song um the video uh 
you know, inspired from events in my own life, I thought I was sharing a personal story of my father tearing me a new one, as he often did, screaming the famous line, that was my dad, what do you want to do with your life? And when the video came out, not only did people react that it was the first time someone had taken the forum, the format, and, uh, and, and, and played and, and put a story to it, because that really didn't exist before that. Videos tended to be performance videos. We're going to go into another track now, but who cares? It's Twisted Sister. Um, but uh, when our video hit, hit the people related to the video, what I thought was a personal story for me turned out to be a story that everybody, every kid in the world was dealing with. Dad giving them crap for their lifestyle and not really knowing where they were going or what they were doing. And people identified with this. They loved the story. They loved the video. And the video, like I said, was a game changer. I could say without any doubt in my mind, it would not be a thriller. It would not be a hot for teacher. All these people saw the Twisted Sister video and it redefined the genre. So you're welcome um, to blame, since I wrote the video. One last thing I want to talk about, we're not going to take it, as we listen to the beginning of Burning Hell, yeah, um, is that years after the song came out, I was driving in a car with a buddy of mine, another musician, and we were talking about songs that had borrowed from other songs. Uh, one of the famous ones is My Sweet Lord, uh, George Harrison's was She's So Fine by the Chiffons. And we are going through a bunch of songs that it had, had borrowed liberally. And he said, well, if, and of course, we're not going to take it as, oh, come all ye faithful. And I turned and I said, what? <laughs> and he said, we're not going to take it as, oh, come all ye faithful. And I was like, what are you talking about? He goes, dude, you didn't know that? We're not going to take it, oh, come all ye faithful. I was like. Because I sang in the church choir till I was 19 years old, so uh, it has sort of absorbed into my system. So uh, I do owe um, my church choir uh, history the success of Twist Sister. And uh, so kids, go to church, see? And then you write a song like Burn the Hell to follow it up. <laughs> it's, a, it's a cleansing. Uh, <laughs> uh, yeah, we're not going to take out Come On Your Faithful. See? Ain't life grand. D. Snyder, we're not going to take it. Wrapping up this episode of Behind the Vinyl. We appreciate your time, and if you have more time, please check out some of our past episodes because there's no shortage of great stories with our little podcast. And while you're there, feel free to subscribe. We've got more where that came from. On behalf of the team, I'm Stu Jeffries. Thanks for listening. This has been Behind the Vinyl, the podcast. Hosted by Stu Jeffries. Audio production courtesy of Doug Morehouse, Dan McIntosh, and Troy McCallum. Thanks for listening.